Have you ever mishandled something that was entrusted to your care? Maybe you mishandled a situation, maybe a responsibility. Uh, maybe you mishandled a, a possession, like maybe a, a vehicle or a house, or maybe finances. Maybe you've mishandled your time, maybe a relationship. Uh, maybe a responsibility, or maybe you've mishandled an animal. I, I don't mean mistreated an animal, I mean mishandled an animal. In 2003, Roy of Siegfried and Roy was viciously attacked by a 400-pound tiger. Roy was the tiger's handler, and it's always been understood ever since that time that Roy suffered a stroke and the tiger was reacting to protect his handler, but since then, some trainers have spoken out and said, well, the truth is that Roy was shirking some of his responsibility as being a handler, meaning he wasn't spending, uh, he was spending less and less time with the Tigers. He was mishandling his handler responsibilities. Now, we don't know if that's true. There's no way to substantiate that, but there, but, but there is this association, this danger associated with uh, mishandling our responsibility as handlers. Uh, think of mishandling the Bible, for example. Uh, we can easily mishandle the Bible, one, when we spend less and less time in it, but another way is when we use it as a tool to get what we want, to justify our sin, to win an argument. We can mishandle uh, the Bible. I was reading of a a man who, and you've been here, you, you wanted to experience the guidance from the Lord, so you said, okay, this is what I'm going to do. I'm going to open the Bible, I'm going to flip through, I'm going to close my eyes and just let my finger fall where it is, and that's the guidance I'm going to use, right? So this guy tried that, and he's flipping through the Bible, and he sticks his finger, and he looks down, and it says, the rich man went away sad. So he said, well, certainly that can't be God's lot for me to be sad. And so he opened the Bible again, he did it again, and he put his finger down, and it came to the scripture that says, go and do likewise. He said, well, wait a minute, there's something wrong here. Certainly, this can't be what God wants for me. So he tried it again, and yet again, he put his finger in the Scripture and pointed to what you're going to do, do quickly, right? So there's, listen, there's different ways that we can mishandle the Word of God. Well, in 2 Timothy 2, verse 14 through 19, Paul is instructing Timothy to rightly handle the Word of truth. As believers, we are Bible handlers, and we have a responsibility to handle the Bible rightly, not to mishandle the Bible. In Hebrews, the Bible is referred to as a sharp, double-edged sword. Think about a sword or a knife. You, you don't want to handle a knife or sword by grabbing the blade, do you? No, there's a reason. There's a handle called a handle on a sword or a knife. Why? Because that's how you handle that weapon. Well, the Word of God is much the same way. We've got to handle it properly. And so Paul is charging Timothy as a Bible handler that we mustn't mishandle the Bible. So 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 14 through verse 19. I'm going to read the text. You follow along. If you don't have a copy of the Word of God, here it is. So let's read. I'll read. You follow along. 2 Timothy 2, verse 14. Remind them of these things and charge them before God not to quarrel about words, which does no good, 
but only ruins the hearers. Do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. But avoid irreverent babble, for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. And their talk will spread like gangrene. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetos, who have swerved from the truth, saying that the resurrection has already happened. They are upsetting the faith of some. But God's firm foundation stands, bearing this seal. The Lord knows those who are His, and let everyone who names the name of the Lord Depart from iniquity. Father, we are so grateful that we can read your word, that we even have it available to us is a miracle. And we are grateful for that. Lord, we thank you for the reading of it. We pray for the hearing of your word. And furthermore, our response to it. Let it be pleasing to you. Let us aim to please you this day as we corporately worship. In Christ's name we pray. And God's people said... Amen. So today, our uh, sermon in a nutshell, if you will, the uh, big idea, the main idea, the takeaway today is simply this, engage the Bible. Engage the Bible. Now what I mean by engage is not just read it. Sure, you want to read it, but not just read it. Meditate on it. Pray it. Like When you don't know what to pray, pray the Word. Study it. Memorize it. Believe it. Share it, declare it, engage the Bible. Now, what Paul does with his apprentice here in 2 Timothy, what he is charging Timothy to do is, listen, Timothy, as you engage the Bible, there are some reminders that you need to remember. And so I want to point you to five reminders right here in this text that we need to remember as we engage the Bible. Uh, Number one, Engaging the Bible is warfare. You need to understand that we are at war. And when we engage the Bible, when we study the Bible, when we read the Bible, when we memorize the Bible, we are at war. Have you ever read the Bible, read a few verses and said, man, I don't know what I just read. Like I read this and I have no clue what I just read. You know why? It's warfare. It's spiritual warfare that is happening every time you engage the Word of God. Here's how Paul says it to Timothy, verse 14. Remind them. Now, the word remind means to put to mind to another, to bring attention to, to cause one to remember. Like, uh, he is calling Timothy to remind those entrusted to him to remember these things. Now, them are those faithful brothers he's pouring into, those faithful men, women, boys, and girls, the church. That's them. These things are the things Paul has already talked about toward uh, in verse 12 and 13, that God cannot lie. Okay, We need to be reminded of that. God doesn't lie. He's never lied to you, and he never will lie to you. He cannot lie. He cannot deny himself. These are things we need to be reminded of. Generally speaking, it's the truth of Scripture, the demands of holy living, etc. That's Paul's job is to remind Timothy to remind other people to do these things. Here's what we need to be reminded of, church. The Great Commission has not stopped 
because COVID-19 has started. Okay? The Great Commission has never stopped, will never stop until Jesus comes again. Like our role this side of heaven is to make disciples who make disciples. And that's not going to stop until the Lord Jesus comes again. So the Great Commission has not stopped because some virus has started. Okay, and that's what Paul wants him to be reminded of. As your pastor, it is my responsibility. My primary role is to remind you to remember the Bible. Not babble, not irreverent babble, but the Bible. My primary role is to remind you to remember faith, not fear. To remember belief, not unbelief. To remember the truth of Scripture, not the tricks of Satan. To remember the Word of God, not the words of man. That's my primary role, is to remind you. That's your role as a believer and the follower, to remind those entrusted to your care. Be it your family, your friends, your neighbors, whomever, your co-workers. And then Paul charges Timothy not to quarrel about words. Don't war about words. Don't wrangle and wrestle and wage war about words. Don't fight over irreverent babble. Here's how he charges him, and the word charge means to exhort with authority in matters of extraordinary importance. So Paul is charging Timothy. He's sternly warning Timothy, don't you get caught up in this quarreling about words. And notice when we're not to do that. It says, charge them before God. Now let me ask you a question. When are we in the presence of God? When does that happen? All the time. That's right. We're always in the presence of God. We can't escape the presence of God. We're always in His presence. So we're always before Him, especially as believers. So we are to always avoid irreverent babble. We're to always not quarrel and fight about words. Now, do we always do that? Of course not. But that's what we're charged to do. And so Paul is referring to the false teachers of this day. See, these false teachers were using human reasoning to undermine the Word of God. And Paul says, don't put up with that. Don't be a part of that. Avoid that altogether. One of the most famous word battles of all time. Now, here's the important thing you need to understand about word battles. If you're battling with an unbeliever and you're a believer, there's a, there's a fundamental problem here. A believer believes in the authority of the Word of God. An unbeliever does not believe in the authority of the Word of God. That's why our focus must be not to win an argument, but to win a soul. Okay, Because you're on different pages with an unbeliever. They don't believe in the authority of the Word of God. So we're starting from different, we're on different pages. But even among believers, debates can be helpful. Certainly, they can be healthy if they're approached with a spirit of humility. One of the most famous word battles in church history was not between Tupac and Biggie. But it did happen at the Nicene of AD 325. The Nicene Creed was being mapped out, worked out. And so these two were arguing, having a debate over a little Greek word, uh, and the little Greek word is iota. Have you ever heard of that word, iota? In English language, it's one letter, it's the letter I. It's the difference between, in the Greek, the word like and the word one. And so one of these guys was arguing that Jesus is one with the Father. The other guy was arguing, no, Jesus is not one with the Father, he is like the Father. Well, that is heresy. Jesus is not like the Father. He is one with the Father. They are three in one. 
So this was a huge battle over one little bitty Greek word, iota, which is the only difference between the Greek word like and one, but it makes all the difference when it comes to the Christian faith. So there's benefit, sure, to make sure we get the word right. But the main goal of our conversation is not to win an argument, it's to win souls. And so Paul says, again, right here, this does no good. The end of verse 14, look at that. It does no good to argue about what. Here's what it does. You know, faith comes from hearing the word. You know that? Faith comes from hearing this word. You know what comes from hearing man's word? Verse 14, look what it says. Ruin. It ruins the hearers. It literally destroys the hearers. Like, it's total destruction. Totally. Like, faith comes from hearing the word. Like, salvation comes from us hearing the word and putting our faith and believing in what we hear. But total ruin. Total destruction. The word in the Greek is where we get our word catastrophe. It's a catastrophe to just listen and continue to listen to the irreverent babble of false teaching. It destroys. It doesn't build up. It tears down. So Paul says avoid that. We need to know we are at war when it comes to studying the word. It is an all-out war that does no good. God's word says it does no good to wage war about words. It doesn't do any good. And we can apply that to our platforms today whereby we communicate. It does no good whatsoever to fuss and fight on Facebook. That's not going to help anybody. It does no good to instigate on Instagram or to lay into someone on LinkedIn or to punch back with a post or to pop off on Pinterest or to tussle on Tumblr or tear down on Twitter or snap on Snapchat or yell on Yelp or zap on Zoom. It doesn't do any good. It doesn't do any good to war with words. It doesn't do any good. That's what the Bible says. We are in a war. I want you to think about spiritual warfare for a moment. I know that oftentimes we think about spiritual warfare as a spooky, demonic, maybe exciting exorcisms. But in reality, spiritual warfare is the normal we already knew. Like it's not abnormal. Spiritual warfare is normal. It's the norm. Like when you pray, prayer is spiritual warfare. When you study scripture, it's spiritual warfare. With you worshiping right now in your home with all the distractions happening right now, that's spiritual warfare. Marriage is spiritual warfare. Parenting is spiritual warfare. We live in a constant state of spiritual warfare as believers happens all the time. And so apply that to studying the Word. Apply that to applying it to the Word of God. When you approach the Word of God, how do you approach it? Do you approach it with a humble heart or a prideful heart? Luke chapter 18. I want to read uh, this to you. There are two men. They go in the temple to worship in Luke chapter 18. One is a Pharisee and one is a tax collector. We looked at this a couple of weeks ago, but I want to remind you of what each one of these men say in their heart as they are in the temple to worship. Here's, first of all, they have two men. They went up to the temple to pray, and one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Verse 11 in Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 11. The Pharisee, standing by himself, here's what the Pharisee prayed. Thus, God, I thank you that I'm not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. Etc., etc. Here's what the Pharisee was saying. Here's what he's saying God, I'm here. 
Oh, I don't need you. I've got this. I'm good. But hey, God, if you need me, I'm over here. That's what the Pharisees said. That's his approach to the word of God and to worship. Here's what the tax collector said. Listen to this. But the tax collector, verse number 13 in Luke chapter 18, standing far off, okay, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. So here's what the tax collector said. Remember the Pharisees say, God, I'm here. If you need me, I'm over here, God. And the tax collector said, God, I don't even deserve to be here. Quite a difference, isn't it? So how do you approach the Word of God? You need to know that when you do, it's spiritual warfare. Do you view the Bible as a tool to get what you want, to justify your sin, to win an argument? Do you you view it as a, a tool to channel Or do you view the Word of God as a treasure to cherish? See, we need to understand that that engaging the Bible is warfare. In fact, in Proverbs 21, 31, this week we were in Proverbs 21 some in our journaling, and it read this way, The horse is made ready for the day of battle, but the war, the victory, belongs to the Lord. Like, we, we ready ourselves every day for this battle, this spiritual battle, but we do it from the wind, not for the wind, but from the wind. We do it already knowing that the war is already won. That's how we ready ourselves. Andrew Wilson summed up this spiritual warfare of the word in just a masterful way. I love the way he did it. So he, he approached uh, describing this spiritual warfare that occurs when we engage the Bible in two ways. Number one, what Jesus had to say about the word. And then what Satan said about the word. So here's what Jesus said about the word of God. Jesus says this, it is written exclamation point it is written satan's approach to the word of god is to ask is it written from the very beginning he questioned the word of god so that's the spiritual warfare you're facing god is saying this is my word satan's whispering is it really is it the word of god so you need to understand that engaging in the bible is spiritual warfare number two engaging the bible is work you got to roll up your sleeves and get to work It is diligent, hard, make every effort kind of work. Uh, In fact, Paul says it this in verse 15, do your best. It means to be diligent, to spare no effort, to work hard, to study, to make every effort to be diligent. It takes time, it takes effort, it takes work to engage the Bible. You can't simply read a book or that book or uh, or study this Bible study or that one and be, be a teacher of the Word of God. It takes work to study the Word of God and rightly handle the Word of truth. You can wrongly handle the Word of truth with barely any work, but to rightly handle the Word of truth is going to take work. And hear my heart on this. I am so grateful for Bible studies. I'm so grateful that people want to engage in community and biblical principles. That is fantastic. I am all for Bible studies. But let me say this. We don't need any more Bible studies. We need to study the Bible more. That's why we have Journal Through the Word. That's why it exists. So you can feed yourself the Word of God. So you can grow and work hard and study 
the Word of God. I'm excited coming out in September of the four Gospels. We're going to journal through Matthew, Mark, Luke, John this next year, and so we're excited about that coming down the pipeline. So it's work. You need to know it's going to take, yes, it's work. Yes, it's work. Yes, it's work. Last week, one day, our girls had a couple of friends over swimming in the pool, and used to go to our church. They moved away, and one of the boys that was there, about 10 years old, I came in about six, got home about six from work that day, and little boy asked me, where have you been? I said, well, I've been at work. He said, work? Where do you work? He said, I know you're a pastor, but do you work? I said, well, yeah, a little bit. I work a little bit. That's not the first kid that said that to me. I've had kids say to me, when are you going to get a real job like my daddy, right? When are you going to work? What do you do? Hey, it's work. It's work. Uh, You know this, and I know this. Rightly handling the word of truth takes time, effort, diligence, study, and work. But here's what I'm grateful for. Verse 15, uh, that we are to present ourselves to God as one approved. I don't have to present myself to man as one approved, or or women, or boys, or girls as one approved. I, I present myself to God, and you do too. We're to present ourselves to Him as one who is approved, rightly handling the word of truth. That word for rightly handling, it's in the Greek, it's a compound word. The first part of the word is ortho, where we get our word orthopedic, or orthodoxy or orthodontics, and it means to correct and to strike, like an orthopedic surgeon corrects muscles and, 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 and bones, or an orthodontics corrects teeth and straightens them and makes a bad bite a good bite, and etc. That's what we're to do. We're to get the word straight and give the word straight, the straight truth of the gospel. Nothing more, nothing less, that Jesus lived a life perfectly in every way, that he died your death and mine, that he was buried and raised to life, and for all who believe in him shall be saved. Do you know you were born to be born again? Do you know that? And when you're born again, that means you can begin again and again and again and again. So I want to challenge you to be born again so you won't die again. That's the gospel. God has done it all for us through his son Jesus. So be diligent and study this good word. People need to hear it. They need to hear some good news. There was a police officer recently in Oregon who was accused of and disciplined for not working on the job. He is the officer in charge of the canine unit. He is the canine police dog handler. He is the handler of the canine unit. And in one year's time, he only responded to one call the whole year. And he claimed that in the other times of the year, he was uh, getting more training on how to be a better handler. The kicker of this story is the officer's name. I mean, this is insane. You can't make this stuff up. The officer's name, the canine police dog handler's name, Officer Doolittle. Now, you've heard of Dr. Doolittle, I'm sure, who communicates with animals. Can you believe that this canine handler's name is Doolittle? And only that, I guess he was accused of Officer Doolittle of doing very little, right? Let it not be said of us, church, that we are Bible handlers who mishandle the Bible. Let that not be said of us. Let us work hard, study, diligent to rightly handle the word of truth. Number three, engaging the Bible works. Not only is it work, but praise God, it works. (laughs) It really does work. Here's how Paul says to Timothy, Verse number 16, but avoid irreverent babble. 
for it will lead people into more and more ungodliness. Avoid empty talk, empty chatter, worldly chatter, talk that has no value. Avoid that. Avoid these false teachers' teachings. Avoid it. Why? Here's why. Look at the first part of verse 17. It spreads like a fleshly disease doesn't need any help spreading. Doesn't need any help spreading. A disease on the flesh doesn't need any help spreading. And what these false teachers are doing, they're speaking to the flesh. They're tickling the ears. They're making people feel good, and it's spreading. You know why they're so popular? You know why they have thousands upon thousands of followers and, 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 and people watching and viewing? You know why? Because they're speaking directly to their flesh. They're making them feel good and it spreads like a fleshly disease. And Paul says, watch out for that. Don't put up with that. Avoid that. Why? Because it leads to more and more ungodliness rather than godliness. So anytime someone is self-helped, they receive this self-help, prosperity gospel, they're relying on the flesh and possessions rather than relying on the Lord. And so it just spreads. And it leads to more and more ungodliness because they're not relying on God. They're going further away from Him, not closer to Him, but further away. So avoid that altogether. Wrongly handling the Bible leads to ungodliness, which means if we rightly handle the Bible, that leads to godliness. So it works. Like it really does work. Praise God engaging the Bible works. In, in the 1990s, there was a president of the, or the president of the American Psychological Association. He, he noted that psychology's focus has been for far too long on the negative side of life. And he wanted to bring a, a new wave into looking at the positive side of life. So he asked this question as the president of the APA. He asked this question, can people become happier? Is it possible that people can actually become happier? And so through many studies, this is what he discovered. Oddly enough, it's exactly what the Bible has said all along. Can people become happier? Here's what some of that research discovered. That nursing a grudge, holding a grudge, calls people to remain unhappy. Well, I believe Mark eleven twenty five 25 says, forgive if you have anything against anyone. Seems like the Bible actually works. Another point of research discovered that unwholesome preoccupation with old mistakes and failures led to unhappiness and depression. Seems like Paul says in Philippians 3, the one thing I do, I forget all that junk. <laughs> I forget what lies behind and I strain toward what lies behind ahead. Seems like the Bible actually works. Another one, another point of research said not wasting time and energy fighting conditions that can't be changed. Like what makes people unhappy is trying to control something they can't control. In Matthew it says, therefore I tell you do not be anxious about your life. Seems like the Bible actually works. Another said that, that, that realizing that nobody gets through life without suffering and sorrow. Paul says, I've learned that in any situation, I'm to be content. I've learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger. That for me, to live is Christ, to die is gain. Hey, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Seems like the Bible actually works. 
Another said that the lowest score in any of these tests that measured unhappiness, that measured unhappy, were those who were self-centered people. Seems like Matthew 6, 33 addressed that. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. Hey, the Bible works. Psychologists have discovered, hey, the Bible works. Believers, you and me, we know the Bible works. So you engage the Bible, it is work, but praise God, it works. Number four, don't miss this one. Engaging the Bible is waning. It is waning. Look at what Paul says about these two individuals that have swerved from the truth in verse 17. Among them are Hymenaeus and Philetos. These two guys have walked away from the truth. They have swerved away from the truth. And they're teaching an incorrect doctrine. They were teaching that the resurrection had already happened. Now what does that mean? What they were teaching was the resurrection was more spiritual and and there was no bodily, physical resurrection. They were teaching, hey, uh, we're resurrected upon salvation and we're spiritually renewed and that is our resurrection. There is no bodily resurrection. Well, that is a false, incorrect doctrine. The physical resurrection of Christ is the essential tenet of our faith. It's the essential tenet. And so why would they teach this false doctrine? Well, it appeased people. For example, the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection, so this would appeal to them. It would tickle their ears. The Pharisees kind of liked this too because they did believe in the resurrection, but the Pharisees were wealthy materialists. They had put all their eggs in the basket of this world. They didn't pay too much attention to the next world. They were focused on this world, so it tickled their ears. The Greeks of that day believed the spirit was moral, But the flesh was immoral. So they were like, man, who wants to be in this tore down, broke down, beat up body and have it resurrected again? So it tickled their ears. So they're tickling ears of hearers in their day. But here's what Paul said about the importance of the bodily resurrection. This is why it's so critical to our faith. In 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says, Now if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection from the dead? How can you say that? And then Paul says this, if there's no resurrection from the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. So the bodily resurrection of Christ is an essential tenet of our faith. And they were speaking against that. They were wrongly handling the word of truth. Now what I'm about to tell you, spoiler alert, what I'm about to tell you is an unpopular opinion. Okay, It is, can we say, politically incorrect. It's not PC at all. In fact, it's going to offend some of you, but... Hey, you can get unoffended just as quickly as you were offended, okay? So here's what I've got to say to you. Charcoal grilling is the only kind of grilling worth grilling, period. That's the end of that. Have you ever noticed what wind will do to like a match? Like if you're going to light your charcoal with a match, I know we've got those... Uh, lighters today that those clicker lighters that are much easier but have you ever noticed what the wind will do to a small little flame it'll blow it out won't it but have you ever noticed what a what wind will do to a to a larger flame it just ignites it more and more it makes it stronger it makes it go farther 
It gives it, it, gives it energy and, and more oxygen. It just builds it up. And that's what Paul is telling. Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God that was given to you. Your faith, fan it into flame. Don't listen to this irreverent babble that's going to remove the faith. That's what it says at the end here of verse number 18, that they are upsetting the faith of some. This incorrect doctrine of the resurrection was overthrowing the faith of some, upsetting the faith of some. And Paul says, don't listen to that. Don't put up with that. Fan into flame the gift of God that is faith in the Lord Jesus Christ alone. Phillips Brooks said it a better way than a way better than I ever could. Here's how he said it. Truth is always strong no matter how weak it looks falsehood is always weak no matter how strong it looks end quote so make sure you understand that engaging the bible among many people is waning now i know since covid-19 a lot of non-believers have claimed they started to read the bible but be careful There's a difference. You've got to study and be diligent and work hard and rightly handle. This engaging, this rightly handling the Word of God is waning. However, that leads to number five. The fifth reminder I want you to remember, engaging the Bible is worth it. You hear me? It's worth it. It is worth it. Number 19 is proof that engaging the Bible is worth it. It's worth every tear, it's worth every sweat, it's worth every drop of blood from Jesus' body to engage the Bible. It is worth it. Look what the Bible says in 19. I love how Paul shifts here. He says, but, oh, I love that word, but. It's in contrast to all these who are walking away and swerving from the truth and being blown this and there and upsetting and overthrowing their faith. Paul says, but... Look what he says. God's firm foundation stands. Now, what what is he referring to? Well, we know in other places in these letters he's written to Timothy, he's referring to the church, the household of God, is the pillar and the support of the truth. Is the church, you and me, the household of God. This is a firm foundation, and it's standing because it's sealed. Notice what it says. There's a seal here. And the seal represents the fact that God owns this church. He owns every church. He's the head of the church. It's his and his alone. So he's got his stamp of approval and seal on the church. And notice this seal at the end of verse 19. It has an upper side and an underside. An upper side and an underside. The upper side of this seal is only visible from heaven. Because here's what it says. The Lord knows those who are His. Did you hear that? The Lord knows who are His. So that is the view from heaven. That speaks of our salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's visible from heaven. The underside of the seal is visible from earth. And the underside of the seal, look at the second part of verse 19 here, the end of the of the verse let everyone who names the name of the lord depart from iniquity that speaks of our works not that we're saved by works we're saved by grace but we're saved to works and it is by our works that the world sees hey he's got faith she's got faith they see our works they see our faith 
We're not saved by works. No, no, no. We're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. But we're saved to something, for something, and that's works. So that's the underside of this seal. And so engaging the Bible is worth it. Absolutely, 100% worth it. Howard Hendricks said it like this. The Bible was written not to satisfy your curiosity, but to help you conform to the image of Christ. Not to make you a smarter sinner, but to make you like the Savior. Not to fill your head with a collection of biblical facts, but to transform your life. And I want you to see how much this is worth it. I mean, eternity is hanging in the balance. Do you know that? Let me show you what I mean. Right here in 2 Timothy 2.19, there is a profound statement made by the Word of God. It says, let everyone who names the name of the Lord depart from iniquity. So the way I see it, according to the Scripture, here in 2 Timothy 2, and then you look at Matthew 7.23, the Bible says that not everyone who calls the Lord Lord, not everyone who names the name of the Lord belongs to Him. That on that last days, that there will be some that say, Lord, did we not do this in your name? Did we not do that in your name? Did we not name your name? And the Lord will look at them and say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you doer of iniquity. So the way we can look at this is say, okay, there's two groups of people who are naming the name of the Lord. One group of people who are naming the name of the Lord are naming the name of the Lord and departing from doing iniquity. Then there's another group that's naming the name of the Lord, and they will be told, depart from me, you doer of iniquity. So which one are you? Are you the one who's naming the name of the Lord and you're departing from doing iniquity? Or are you the one who says, I'm naming the name of the Lord but you're not departing from doing iniquity. In fact, one day the Lord's going to look at you and because you don't have real, genuine faith in Him, He's going to say to you, depart from me. I never knew you, you doer of iniquity. Which one? Well, here's some good news. Faith comes from hearing the Word. Now, hearing man's Word leads to destruction, catastrophe, ruin, etc. But when you hear the Word of God, faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ so this Lord this Jesus who says the Lord knows those who are his that bodily rose from the dead that these swervers from the truth were saying listen this bodily resurrection is not important you need to know something Jesus is the firstborn from the dead that is the essential tenet of our faith that Jesus was the first one to live the first one to die the first one to be raised to life to never die again sure he wasn't the first one to ever live he was the first one to ever die he was the first one to ever be raised to life but he was the first one to live die be raised to life never to die again that's the difference that's the tenet of our faith that's what separates us from every other world religion is faith in the one 
our creator God who loves us enough to create us, loved us enough to, to come and put on our flesh and suffer like we did, to die in our place and instead of us. He was buried, and on the third day, he was bodily resurrected from the dead. And that's good news for everyone who believes that in their heart and confesses with their mouth that Jesus is Lord will be saved. So there is faith that comes from hearing the truth of the Word of God. Have you made that decision? I pray that you put your faith in Christ. If not, you can do it right now. We would encourage you to pray right now in your home. Lord, I know I'm a sinner. I pray you'll forgive me of my sin and come into my life and and save me and rescue me. I don't want to be ruined. I don't want to be a catastrophe listening to this false doctrines. I, I I want to hear the true word. I want faith to come by me hearing this word and believing So believe in Him, trust in Him, and you'll be saved today. And we want to hear from you. We want to know that you've trusted Him. So if you've put your faith in Christ, please text the name Jesus to 423-440-8555. We want to talk to you. If you'd like to make that decision today, please text the name Jesus to that number. We would love to have a conversation with you today. I heard an illustration this week from J.D. Greer. I figured I could use it because our names are pronounced the same way. He spells his name incorrectly, by the way. Don't tell him I said that. But he uses an A when it's just G-R-E-E-R. But I'm going to share the illustration that he shared this week. He said, listen, imagine there's a lumberjack who's clearing out a forest. Okay, He's got to clear out the whole forest. So he's chainsawing tree after tree after tree. He comes to this one tree and he noticed there's a bird with a nest. Her baby's nesting up in the tree. Well, rather than taking the chainsaw and cutting down the tree, he pulls out a sledgehammer. And he takes that sledgehammer and he hits the bottom of that tree. Bam! 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 And that tree's shaking. And that bird and her little babies, they fly away and make a nest in another tree. And by the time he gets to that tree, he does the same thing. He takes out that sledgehammer and just hits the bottom of that tree until that bird moves to another tree. And he does about five or six times until finally the bird and her young, they fly and nest and rest in the rock face next to the forest. They leave the forest and nest in the rock face. You know, that lumberjack sledgehammer was not a sledgehammer of cruelty. It was a sledgehammer of compassion. If he wanted to be cruel, he could have cut the tree down with the birds in it. That would have been cruel. But he showed compassion. You need to hear this. I need to hear this. We need to hear this. COVID-19 is not God's chainsaw of cruelty. It is God's sledgehammer of compassion. He's trying to get our attention and let us know, yes, there is a chainsaw of judgment that is coming. Oh, yes. Judgment is coming, but if you will relocate from the forest of this world and rest in the rock face of his word, you will be spared. Because he spared not his son to die for you and to die for me. So as Bible handlers... We must handle the Bible rightly 
And to do that, we've got to engage the Word. And we learned today that engaging the Bible, look, it's war, yes. It's work, yes, but it works. It's waning, sure, but it's worth it. So engage the Bible. Listen, church, you see, you don't have to, to, to give in to this world's amazing race before you get into the Word's amazing grace. You don't have to. You don't have to listen to babble before you listen to the Bible. You don't have to. You don't have to open up that YouTube channel before you open to the book of Daniel. You don't have to. So engage the Bible. You don't have to endure teaching that tickles your ears before you engage teaching that targets your heart. You don't have to. You don't have to stop sojourning in this world before you start journaling through the Word. You don't have to. You don't have to experience Tiger King before you engage, expound, first and second, Kings. You don't have to. You don't have to mediate between the masked and the unmasked before you meditate in the book of Acts. You don't have to. You, you don't have to, to, to know the new norm that's beyond the norm for all Tennesseans before you name the name that's above every name in the book of Philippians. You don't have to. You don't have to panic in this world's flesh before you find peace in the one who became flesh. You don't have to. You don't have to work to open up Reddit before you open up the Word and read it. You don't have to. You, you, listen, you don't have to get sick with this or that virus before you seek and find the Lord Jesus. You don't have to. So engage the Bible. Engage the Bible. Rightly handle the Word of Truth. Let's be Bible handlers that don't mishandle the Word of God.